iHemp Michigan is a member-based organization backing hemp farmers, seed cultivators, processors, manufacturers, and hemp businesses statewide. Our members are engaged in defining the path to success of industrial hemp from seed to sale and beyond. We are committed to empowering hemp farmers, fueling industry leaders, and educating consumers to ensure hemp flourishes in the Midwest. Our focus is influencing responsible and fair regulation, providing grower education, and enabling full access to the evolving marketplace. IHEMP Michigan advocates for wellness in people and the planet through hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Welcome to the IHEMP Michigan podcast. My name is Dave Craybill. I'll be your host again today. We are speaking with Adam Rosenberg of Green Wolverine. Let's get to the show. All right, we're speaking today with Adam Rosenberg of Green Wolverine. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me. So, Adam, you're you went to school at University of Michigan, uh, and I, you're you're uh, a business major. Is that correct? That's correct. While I was studying at the business school, I predominantly focused on opportunities pertaining to cannabis and hemp. And, you know, tell us what, what started on your cannabis slash hemp journey? What, what was the motivation there? So growing up originally, I'd wanted to be a physician. So I took a role at a pain management medical center over the summer when I was about 16. And as part of that job, I worked in the urine testing lab where we tested patients to ensure that they were taking the prescribed medication and weren't taking any illicit substances. And that's where I discovered a high proportion of patients using THC to treat their pain and started doing my own research and was really surprised by the evidence of efficacy without the same downsides associated with more conventional pain management treatments. So I took a role at a medical cannabis provisioning center during my freshman year and that's what really sparked my interest in the business side so I founded Green Wolverine at the University of Michigan as the first student organization for students to open up opportunities in the professional side of the cannabis industry and explore business opportunities so I moved on to some roles at different investment firms such as the Arcadu Group and Trust Capital, which were cannabis and hemp specific. And that's where I really came across the opportunity with hemp, which I see is much grander and much longer term. So my partner and I, we started a 30-acre ICBD cultivation project in North Carolina as a way to learn as much as we could from the generational tobacco farmers and then bring that knowledge back to my home state of Michigan, which brings me back here. So, you know, so you got some hands-on with, it looks like Live Wellness is who you work with in Ann Arbor as a provisionist. When when you were with the investment uh, firm, the Archview Group, what kind of investments did you see in cannabis? Were, you know, is it setting up dispensaries, processing, what, what, where do, you, where do you see most of the money going into that industry right now? Or, or so a lot time? of the money 
infrastructure, especially the institutional capital, is being deployed into ancillary products and services. And that's actually one of the primary messages of Green Wolverine students is that there are plenty of opportunities and actually more opportunities pertaining to cannabis that don't actually directly involve the plants or the end product, where they can work in marketing or equipment or manufacturing, packaging, software, hardware, which are all completely federally legal on all levels, but will benefit from the growth of the cannabis industry because they service businesses in that space. So I would say that the majority of investments that I came across were more ancillary businesses, and it seemed that at the time, this was a couple years back, that that's what most investors felt the most comfortable with. And it typically came with a lower upside, but a lot less risk than investing in a company that was still federally illegal. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. You know, I, I, I try and make that point to people all the time when they're looking at the potential of the industry. And, and right now, it's divided legally by a definition. You know, industrial hemp being the 0.3 or less THC and marijuana being above 0.3. And it's just a legal definition, wouldn't you agree? And you know, and and we have an entire industry, you know, two two industries that are being built out around this plant. Absolutely, and it's a, a common area of confusion that we look to alleviate through our Green Wolverine educational events is that they really are the exact same plant. It's cannabis sativa L, and to have a plant that the testing at 0.29 is hemp and testing at 0.31 is marijuana. And on that minor discrepancy of 0.01%, you're looking at the difference legally speaking between growing corn and growing heroin. And it really doesn't make much sense. And at the end of the day, all the compounds that are plant derived are going to be identical, whether they come from, or marijuana, the only real difference, as you mentioned, is a legal one in how high that THC level is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's one of those big issues. I I know you're on it, and I, anyone listening, if we're, hopefully we get this podcast edited and out in time, but the USDA needs to hear your voice by January 29th, 2020, in reference to their rules because they have DEA stamped all over this thing and, and there's just way too much risk for the farmers. Um, and, 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 and I want to, you know, so let's touch on, on that real quick on, on the USDA rules. Have, have you, has Green Wolverine come out with some statements in regards to the rules and comment on the rules? So Green Wolverine as an organization has not because a big focus of the organization early on was in order to maximize the usage of our educational events, is we usually steer clear, organizationally speaking, of taking political stances. We would rather present information from both sides and then allow the audience and allow our members to come to their own informed conclusions. So we've had a lot of members of 
Green Wolverine and affiliates of the organization submit temp rules, but we uh, choose to stay politically neutral so that people can attend our events and know that the information is being presented without bias. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So let's talk about the hemp industry. You know, I, I wanted to learn about growing hemp and I grew 3000 plants on one acre. What possessed you to do, uh, 30, 30 acres as your first go around? Well, first and foremost, it was, uh, a lack of understanding of just how challenging it really is to cultivate this crop on a commercial scale. Uh, the reason for starting the project to begin with was really to gain a ground-level understanding of how the industry works from, from seed to harvest to processing to sale because the intention was always to bring that knowledge back here to Michigan and through relationships with the University of Michigan and other academic institutions, as well as a business network to really offer farmers the best opportunities to have a successful harvest. And we really would never recommend that farmers go that big in their first year unless their intention is to, to scale up to hundreds of acres in the near term, in which case you would want to start large enough that you really get an understanding of the commercial scale of it but for um, people that are especially new to the crop itself, new to growing cannabis, or coming from cannabis and new to farming, it's best to start at a reasonable scale to make sure that you're taking into account all the risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, isn't that the truth? It's uh, happening is hard. So yeah, I'm sure you learned, learned a few lessons, um, got a few bruises. Talk about that. What uh, what would you do different, or what do you plan to do different in 2020? So, for one, as we discussed, we'd be starting out a little bit smaller. Had I the opportunity to go back and rethink where we wanted to begin, because it was our first year and it was learning, it would have made more sense to do it at a more reasonable scale. For this upcoming year, I will be working with a variety of farmers and my recommendation would always be to find partners and find resources for information that have a established track record and have had success in past years because it's such a nascent industry and such a new method of growing that the discrepancy between opinions and best practices is really quite broad. And so it's best to take into account opinions from a variety of sources and pick and choose the best ones and the ones that have the most established success before choosing a path and a direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's good that Michigan's operating under the research pilot program again this season because we are... As you said, you know, there, there's a lot of different ideas and opinions out there. Not a lot of experience to really draw upon yet. But, you know, at the end of this season, we're going to have two years of experience. We'll, you know, on top of, you know, we obviously are making friends with people in Colorado and Kentucky and Oregon and Washington that have more experience. Um, 
Do, do you find that they're typically willing to share that knowledge and experience? Unfortunately, oftentimes people are trying to keep that information to themselves, which I disagree with because we're dealing with an agricultural commodity that's traded across the United States, but it's also traded across the world. Um, there really shouldn't be competition amongst neighbors. I think that we can all benefit in these early stages from sharing best practices and helping each other because it's going to be commoditized as do all other agricultural products. And so the better we can do, especially here for ourselves in Michigan by working with each other, the better off we're going to be in staying afloat in an overly, overly competitive market, which is definitely happening over the next few years. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we have European countries who have been growing this crop for a lot longer time, and I'm still not seeing those kind of resources, that equipment and such, but have you looked into those rules over there? I spoke with someone from Canaway, a VP from Canaway, and she indicated that in, uh, I think they're in Newfoundland or wherever they're growing in Europe, it, uh, uh, be Norway, I guess, but, but wherever they're growing in in Europe that they can only process from the seeds and stalk. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Yes, I believe Canada also had similar rules, and so it really limited the uses of hemp, where it was focused more so on the industrial applications, the fiber, and the functional foods from the seeds and the oil. So here in the United States, we've seen the vast, vast majority of farms growing hemp for the medicine, primarily CBD, and I think that's definitely affected the technologies that have become available. But over time, and Dave, I think we discussed this during the expo, the vision should be more geared towards those industrial and food applications because yeah. there there's a variety of ways to produce these cannabinoids, and we've already started producing them perhaps in too large of a quantity than the market can handle. But we know the success that the fiber and the seeds of this plant has had for millennia, and it'll be no surprise that it continues to be a success for our country and for our human population as we move forward and it comes out of the ashes of prohibition. Yeah, I agree. So we'll, we'll get into the fiber talk and, and you know, content in just a second here. Let's, let's just deal with this whole CBD issue for a minute. So it, it's the low-hanging fruit. You know, it's where we are today. That's what what, 90-some percent of the people grew, Did, most people are having to uh, manually harvest that. With your 30 acres, tell me, how did you harvest? We harvested that by hand, so using loppers <laughs> and machetes. And what kind and of crew did you have? We had uh, mainly temporary workers who were coming from the tobacco industry. And so they were extremely hard workers, and they did an excellent job. It's just a, a truly challenging undertaking to remove 40,000-plus plants out of a field by hand. And those are the sort of processes that 
uh, we as Green Wolverine want to make sure farmers are aware of before they put their plants in the ground. And as I mentioned to you earlier, the at the University of Michigan, our student group Green Wolverine is going to start hosting free educational events called the Green Wolverine Hemp Grower Series. The first one, February 4th from 6 to 8 p.m. And the focus of those events is in sharing these processes from A to Z and helping provide farmers with resources to have the best chance of a successful harvest in this upcoming year. Yeah, no, that's so important, you know, and, you know, it's cool. And what I've experienced in here in Michigan with our, we've hosted 10 events now as I have Michigan and I've been to uh, Tennessee and Indiana at HEP events and, and the ag community is collaborating and sharing. So, and that's what we need. You know, we need, you know, in a high tide, all ships rise. So the, um, you know, just, you know, touch a little more on the CBD. So, you know, I'm full agreement. We don't have the supply chain built out. You know, we're going to end up with too much oil. Let's talk about the oil for a second because, you know, in, in my example, you know, so I grew the one acre, I have some oil, you know, test the oil at this point, which, you know, MDARD's out of the picture, uh, you know, all they concerned were concerned with was the crop in the field. But you get your uh, oil processed and, and now everything got concentrated in that oil. And now the oil's out of compliance because it's high in THC, so now you have to take it down to another step to re remediate that THC. Um, wh where do you see, you know, as, you know, as far as the oil and, and this whole supply chain, you know, developing, do you see some innovation, some new technologies going to come out to, to help this market mature, this part of the market? In recent years, the THC remediation processes have certainly improved and become more efficient. I think that's why isolate had previously been so popular, is it was the easiest way to get the CBD down with zero THC or extremely low THC. But with the emergence of remediation technologies, that's where we now see this broad-spectrum oil or THC-free distillate which has the advantage of a lot of those minor cannabinoids and terpenes remaining in the oil while still being at non-detectable THC so that it can travel across state lines without any risk. I think we're going to see lots more technology emerge over these next few years as we see massive influxes of capital into processing facilities that are all going to be competing on increasingly smaller and smaller margins. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm seeing with the processors that are popping up, they're undercapitalized and they're not they're not making deals with farmers. You know, they're doing splits primarily. You know, so the farmer, you know, it's like here you go, here's some oil. You know, you 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 grew this crop, um, you take it to the processor, and now you have another crop. You know, this oil to market. So yeah, it, it's going to be real interesting to see how all this plays out and. Yeah, I'm total agreement. The CBD um, it isn't the future for the hemp farmer. You know, it's in 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 its current state. Um, from what I'm seeing is, you know, 
dense planting and a dual crop, you know, where you can mechanically harvest it, you can process out CBD, it's going to be a lower percentage of CBD, uh, but you can extract CBD from that harvest and, and still have that fiber. Is it, Are you seeing that path developing? Yeah, absolutely, and especially with the scale of the processing capacity that's coming out, it doesn't necessarily need to be 12 or 14% material to pump out enough oil to supply the market. And it's going to be a matter of margin compression over time as the price of CBD starts to get lower. It's really going to be a matter of who can produce it at the lowest cost. Mm-hmm. And I think those are going to be companies that are vertically integrated, at least across a certain portion of the supply chain and have discovered different methods of harvesting, like what you mentioned, just doing a canopy style mechanically. And even if they have a lower percentage of CBD, they're going to have such a larger quantity per acre and the ability to process it and have 100% of the oil as opposed to a toll split where they might end up with only 50. Those are the ones that I see will be the most sustainable over the next few years. Mm-hmm. But it's still to be seen if the model of the Christmas tree style will be successful for this upcoming season when the market is still pretty new. Yeah. There could be some success stories, I would think, in the cottage industry. If you, you know, Hops parallels this industry in a lot of ways. And talking to Lori Put from uh, uh, Hempnata, HOH, um, Lori shared, you know, with her experience growing hops that you know, they, they had issues with the processor, that whole supply chain issue. And But if you look at the beer industry in Michigan, and, you know, even in, what, in Grand Rapids, we have 141 different brewers pop up. You know, do you see the potential for, you know, some craft cannabis companies popping up, you know, with, with their own little cottage industry, you know, feel? Yeah, most definitely, both on the high THC cannabis side as well as the low THC hemp side. I think we're going to see a lot of these craft growers find success. I think you're really better off going small and focusing on quality and branding and establishing yourself in a certain niche market as opposed to trying to be the biggest because we're going to start to see a lot of these more established agricultural companies coming in and these big ag farmers are going to have the resources and the capital that will be difficult to compete with. But it's the perfect analogy are these craft breweries that might produce at a little higher cost, but they can command a premium because they have that higher quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the farmer that that's growing a thousand acres of corn or soybeans right now, how's he fit into this mix? You know, wh- where do you see the future for these farmers? I think those are the farmers that are going to be the best suited for the dual crop that you were speaking of is something that they're used to of prepping a field, doing direct sow seeding, fertilizing with you know overhead sprayers, and then harvesting with equipment and letting it dry in the field. It's an extremely challenging learning curve to go from a field crop like corn to a more specialized hands-on variety like cannabis 
But I think over time, we're going to start to see the market mature and see a lot more adaptable model of agriculture for hemp that farmers will be able to transition to easier than growing CBD under plastic like we're seeing most commonly today. Yeah, yeah, with the uh, drip irrigation and such, it's it's all so, you know, there, there's a lot of input, you know, capital, you know, to per acre for that method and then all the labor. And, and people don't realize the amount of space each, you know, with the Christmas tree style, you know, it requires for the drying and hanging. But, but we're hearing, I'm hearing some cool ideas where, you know, it can be processed wet. You know, I've, you know, Formation Ag, which was a sponsor of uh, the Midwest IHEMP Expo, they have equipment that uh, allowed six, a crew of six, to harvest 800 acres in two weeks, which I think is pretty cool, you know, mechanically. Huh? So, you know, I'm hearing of ideas where we have a, a semi-trailer show up at the farm. They do the mechanical harvest, um, you know, that gets pulled off onto a trailer and, and then onto a conveyor belt into a semi where, you know, it's, um, it, it's bucked or chopped or whatever they do and then immediately processed and the farmers uh, has oil right there on the field. You know, so, you know, I think the, the innovation and in technology is coming, it, you know, just, you know, it's going to take some time for these um, engineers to get all these kinks worked out and make it happen. Uh, do, you, do you see some energy on, you know, you're with the youth that you're working with on the engineering side for these solutions? Yes, and we also had a student this past year who graduated and went to work for one of the large extraction equipment manufacturers, which is an extremely fast-growing opportunity that I'm seeing right now are the, the technologies and the hardwares. But then also there's some pretty interesting innovation in the software side. I'm even seeing combinations of drones and artificial intelligence that can fly over fields and identify males. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more of that technology develop quickly as we have on the high THC cannabis side because it's really a, a rare occurrence of having a brand new agricultural commodity and it's starting out on such a high-value crop that it's worth the investment to put a lot of capital into developing these technologies because minor improvements in the crop can lead to extremely large amounts of money coming out the back end. Yeah, and that's where, you know, in August, you know, I'm looking at my acre and I'm looking at the market reports and they're, you know, coming out, you know, they're saying it's like $4 per CBD point. And it's like, oh, I'm, you know, you're doing the math and you're getting excited. And, you know, but here we are, January 2020, and that $4 per CBD point is, I mean, we're now we're, I'm, I'm hearing as low as 40 cents per CBD point. I think $2 per CBD point would be a high water mark at about this time. Um, that an, an investment capital that we need to build out this industry, you know, it, it's losing some of its motivation. And then at the same time, you know, the banks aren't on board. What have you found in the finance area? Do you, what do you, what do you think it's going to take uh, for the banks 
to be on board and listen to the Federal Reserve and say it's hey it's okay to work with hemp farmers. Yeah, it's it's similar to what I've seen in the the cannabis industry with high THC. It's just a, a slow adoption rate where there's also mechanisms in place for banks to work with high THC companies according to the Federal Reserve. But Part of it is probably just a lack of information and understanding where they see it as an extremely high risk. And I also think the insurance factor is a big mitigator of involvement because it sounds like the USDA is going to have a pilot insurance program coming up for this year, but I haven't been able to find many details on it. And these banks are typically much more conservative. So a lot of the capital that we're seeing is coming from more flexible investment vehicles like high net worth individuals and family offices. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with uh, uh, a gentleman that works with some high net worth families, and it sounds like there's some interest in some generational investments, you know, to help future generations because the you know, work, working with the U.S. Hemp Builders Association and some of the people that I've spoken to, they there's a strong feeling that hemp can save the world. What What's that mean to you? Do you see hemp as a solution to some big problems that we have? Absolutely. Hemp is a solution in a variety of ways. For one, with the big focus right now on CBD as a medicine, to be able to utilize a natural, all-organic compound or profile of compounds that can be used complementary to or as alternatives to existing medicines with all kinds of downsides is, is one really amazing way that I think it's going to help the world. But then also on the environmental side, to be able to replace certain crops that are less environmentally friendly, like cotton, in creating our textiles and our clothing materials, and then having more durable clothing materials so we don't have to buy it as often. And also just the plant itself, its ability from top and bottom above to be able to sequester so much carbon from the atmosphere, and then below to be able to phytoremediate and remove toxins and even radioactive material from the soil really from the time it goes into the ground to the time that it's sold as an end product, it's an improvement over a lot of the practices that we're using today. So both on the medical side as well as on the climate side, the environmental side, it's an unbelievable product. And it's amazing that it's been in the shadows for so long just because of its association with marijuana but I'm extremely excited to see the direction of the entire industry because it's been in part of our civilization for 10,000 years and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The um, fiber, so let's, let's dive into the fiber because I really, really feel strongly that, you know, the fiber and the grain you know we haven't talked about the grain at all i mean that's a superfood 30 percent protein and high in amino acids it's i put it on my oatmeal that hemp hearts in the morning um you know there's there's a lot we can do with hemp obviously 
we we have one member. Uh, I'm sure. You, yeah, you spoke with Gary Schuler from GTF Solutions. He has the milling process yeah. already in place to replace up to thirty percent of the oil-based plastics with hemp uh, hemp filler. You know, it, it works in their existing equipment. They don't have to retool. But it becomes a chicken and an egg problem. We we don't have we don't have um, a big decortication plant here in the Midwest. The, the one that popped up, Sunstrand, from what I understand, they're not operational currently. I'm not sure what's going on with them, but I, uh, there's some issues with Sunstrand down in Kentucky that I've been hearing rumblings about. Uh, we need a big decortication plant, which is a, a big investment, you know, uh, you know, to get that started. And then we need the whole supply chain. We need, you know, that transport. You know, the farmer, you know, can grow it at large scale. But in, in with the fiber, I think, you know, we already have the equipment to mechanically harvest it. But now we need to get it to the decorticator, that, you know, process done. And, and then train loads of it to, to the plastics companies. So... We, we need your bright minds, you know, in energy to figure this out in the venture capital to, to make it happen. What do, you, what do you think is the best next step to get this whole thing in motion? Yeah, this is a topic that I spoke with Don Schultz from the U.S. Home Builders Association quite in depth. And also Gary and the great work that he's doing. It's crucially important to have localized infrastructure and that's because the cost to harvest it, the cost to prepare it, bale it, and ship it, it's not worthwhile, it's not economically viable if we have to ship it to Kentucky. We need to have a localized infrastructure as we do with our other agricultural commodities and I think a first step on a macro level is a transition from 90% of our acres to CBD to an increasing amount growing for that fiber and for those those foods. So it's, you know, you're right, it's the chicken and the egg. No one's going to put up a multi-million dollar facility without knowing that someone's going to buy it, but they aren't necessarily going to be buyers until we have a facility that can supply their needs. Mm-hmm. So. It's something that I think is going to develop slowly over these next few years. Definitely a project that I'm extremely interested in being a part of and collaborating with the U.S. Hemp Builders Association on. Uh, but it's definitely one that's going to take time and is going to be inhibited as long as our focus is solely on the high cannabinoid varieties. Yeah. Well, I think that problem is going to take care of itself. You know, you already... So, you know, from the state of Michigan, we had, uh, initially they were reporting 550, but then I think I saw a number over 800 growers last year. But when I spoke to them at the beginning of the expo, the numbers were uh, maybe a quarter of that had registered so far this year, including, you know, with the high penalty, they had some ridiculous penalty of $250 if you didn't renew your license by a certain date, I think in November 30th, you know, there was a late fee of, you know, like $250 for a $100 license. I don't know where they 
came up with that. But, uh, um, you know, and not to say anything at all negative, MDART. MDART's been great to work with. It's amazing what they've pulled off with no resources. And uh, But, it, you know, you're seeing a lot of people saying, ooh, they're hearing all the challenges with the CBD as we learn about it. But, you know, I, I think we need to find an investment group and we need to make this happen, you know, because we, we can contract with the farmers to grow the fiber. You know, it, you know, maybe we set something. I think we need to talk at them and figure something out and, uh, and find that investment capital to, to get a decortication plant somewhere here in Michigan and, and to set up contracts, you know, with the farmers to start growing the farm, fiber. But I, I think what Gary's work is going to be the impetus to that, where he's reaching out to uh, these major players that, that could use it. You know, we need that big PO that says, hey, okay, uh, you know, you set it up, I'll, I'll start receiving train loads of fiber from you. Yeah, you know, and, and then we had to backfill from that PO to make it happen. It, it's, it's a three to five year plan, but something worthy of a lot of energy to go into to make happen. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that come together. So any, any ideas, uh, you know, from the bright minds at U of M, we definitely want that energy and those connections to make it happen. Maybe you can talk to some of your alum buds. <laughs> Is it write a check? So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what uh, what it's going to take to get that first, make that first step. Yeah, I think first and foremost, it starts with education and ensuring that everyone understands the benefits of these hemp products on the consumer end and why it's in the benefit of a big company like an automotive manufacturer or clothing company to make a switch at least in part to hemp-based products. I think it also comes on the, the back end of the farmer, helping them understand how they can grow the crop successfully and what the benefits are, not just economically, but also to their soil and to the environment. Um, but, you know, with these educational events, as I mentioned before, these Green Wolverine events were starting the first from February 4th at the University of Michigan. We're going to have an opportunity after sharing as much information as we can on the processes of growing hemp to have these kinds of discussions and help to determine the direction of where we want to see the hemp industry in Michigan end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. All right. Well, Adam Rosenberg from Green Wolverine, appreciate all the energy and work you're doing. I uh, look forward to, if, if you'll invite me, I'll be there on February 4th. I have a meeting down in Ohio in the morning, so that'll work out perfect. Um, you know, that's this couldn't say more good about the energy that, you know, you bring to this and the, you know, the, the brain power. We, we really need need to get that uh, process going and you know education is where it all starts so appreciate what you're doing I appreciate it Dave and I'll have that information sent over to you via email by the end of today okay anything else you want to share Adam 
Um, just that I mentioned prior that the mission of my partner and mine was to come back to Michigan and help provide the best resources. So we vetted through a lot of different options through the supply chain of who are going to be the providers that are going to give Michigan farmers the best chance of success. And so for any farmers that are interested in connecting with us on those initiatives and seeing how we can help bring your harvest to fruition, feel free to check out our website. It's gascbd.com or feel free to contact me at adam at gramch.com. And I really appreciate the time, Dave. Yeah, no problem. So let's do, do you have genetics that have been grown here in Michigan? So we do. That was our big initial mission was vetting through the options for genetic varieties specific to the Midwest because oftentimes breeders and salespeople will sell seeds based only on a test result that might have been used in a different region. And so we went back and looked at historical data of the strains that have had the most success here in Michigan and also the companies that have had the, the best success and the most credibility. And we selected a variety called the Midwest strain that has been grown now for four generations outdoors. And in particular, it's catered to the Midwest region. So a lot of those markers for CBD and THC are already well established for how they're going to grow here in Michigan's climate. So four years ago, where was this grown? So it was originally bred out of Oregon, but this past year, 32 farms in the Midwest used it, and all 32 passed their compliance tests and are expecting to uh, purchase or utilize the same genetics for 2020. And the company itself has a very solid track record, great management, and high-quality control standards, which were all factors that we took into consideration. Okay. And, and people can get this information by contacting you. Uh, your website's gascbd.com. Yep, that's correct. So there will be an email and a, a phone number on the site, and people are more than welcome to reach out for any questions they may have. Okay. All right. Well, we look forward to a bountiful harvest in 2020, and uh, we look forward to seeing seeing what's next for, for you and your team. Sounds, sounds great, Dave. I appreciate it. And if there's ever anything I can do to be of assistance, please let me know. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for listening to the I Have Michigan podcast. Have a question, comment, or suggestion? Email Dave at ihabmichigan.com. Special thanks to Eclectic Sales and Creative Marketing, LLC, for their audio editing. I Have Michigan is committed to the whole plant success of industrial hemp, and it begins with the farmer. Get involved. Start by visiting www.ihabmichigan.com. Through fires, floods, and freezing weather, we will always stand with the American farmers.